Hello. Well, Airbnb are at it again with advertising that we think is just a wee bit misleading. And another major building has had its blanket ban on pets overturned. And later on, we're going to look at the worst neighbours you could ever possibly have. I'm Jimmy Thompson. And I'm Sue Williams. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. Well, they're running ads in uh, local newspapers. They're basically saying that if new regulations come in, no ordinary people are going to be able to afford to go on holiday. And how do they make that out? (laughs) Well, that's a very good question. It's just an ad directed at Planning Minister Rob Stokes. Here it's a happy family playing on the beach and they are going to be denied this pleasure when the new regulations come in. Now, I am speculating that what they're really complaining about is the fire regulations. Oh, these are the expenses they're going to have to go to to get the Airbnb homes up to a proper standard where they're considered safe. Yes. I mean, and there's, there's two aspects of the proposed regulations. There's actually a third aspect, which is the code of conduct, but we can pretty much ignore that because, as will a lot of the people who are renting or letting Airbnbs. But um, the two things are the registry and the fire regulations. And the fire regulations, I think, in an odd way, are going to have the biggest impact. Yeah. Well, I think we talked to, when we were talking about whether these, the effect of these coming in, we talked to some fire experts who said it may cost the average homeowner about $1,000 or a little bit more to, to add in integrated smoke alarms and, and fire blankets and heat sensors in kitchens and yep. alarms in corridors, that kind of thing. Yeah. $1,000 isn't very much when you look at the, the average Airbnb rental price. Really. No, it isn't. And and that's uh, the point I'm making online on the flat chat column uh, this week. Uh, But what it will do is flush out a lot of, especially renters who are subletting on Airbnb or other, you know, rental. It's not just Airbnb. We have to keep stressing that. They've just become the brand name that uh, refers to holiday lets. But uh, yeah, people uh, who have... They've rented a property and they've let it on Airbnb and they're making a profit on the difference between what they pay and what they get. Now, if they. Because tenants won't be able to make substantial alterations to their. Not without the knowledge and permission of their, Mm. uh, you know, their landlords. And a lot of landlords may not even know that their property's been listed. And some of them who are quite happy to get the regular rent income may draw the line at work being done to put in smoke alarms and, and signage mm. and things like that because when they want to either move back in there or sell the place well it's going to look like a, a hotel because it'll have um, a map on the wall that you always see in the hotels when you how to get out of here yeah, quickly and, yeah yeah and exit signs i suppose that kind of thing you don't really want that in your home if it's just you because you kind of know how to get out quickly you should do. Mm. yeah but uh, yeah, that's that's the issue. I think that the the cost is itself, you know, it works out. Um, in fact, you wrote a story about this for the Sydney Morning Herald, and the cost for a two bedroom apartment is going to be a little bit over a thousand dollars. Well, we put that over. It's twenty six weeks, one hundred and eighty nights. Um, so spread that over your twenty six weeks, and you're looking at about forty dollars a week. 
So that's kind of getting into the territory where people are going, well, can I uh, put the rent at an attractive level? But I think the main thing is the people who are unofficially letting and the people who are thinking, oh, I might just give this a go and see how it goes. Mm, Who have to pay that money up front and suddenly it just feels like a bit of a big investment. Yeah. And then there's the people who are thinking, well, I'm going to go away for a couple of months. Um, I'll rent out my flat on Airbnb or stays or all these other ones that are popping up and they will be thinking uh, you know that's just too much hassle. Mm. Yeah I can understand that. And I think there's another aspect to this which is the register. Everywhere on the planet that wants to bring in a register Airbnb are fighting different ways but as we spoke about the last time we discussed Airbnb here that they'd spent somewhere in the region of $6 million campaigning in New Jersey to stop them bringing in uh, a register there and lost. And that's going to be significant because as soon as you bring in a register, then people who haven't been paying tax, for instance, um, people who shouldn't have been letting on Airbnb, but, you know, they're their bylaws don't allow it, but they've kind of snuck past. All these sort of fringe dwellers suddenly are exposed, and mm. uh, that hits Airbnb. It hits the whole holiday rental market. Sure, those probably go to a smaller, uh, different platform, don't they? Maybe a less well-known kind of outlet rather than Airbnb. Or, well, yeah, or another outlet which perhaps favours um, registration, like Stays. I think are in favour of. They say they're in favour for sure. Mm. But you know the, the, what happened in Japan last year was that they brought in a registry and the number of listings dropped by eighty percent, which mm. is huge. And, you know, there's a number of factors at play there. A lot of them were unofficial and you could say illegal. But some of them were people who thought, oh, yeah, when I get round to it, they didn't realize that uh, the government was watching very closely uh, and the letting agencies were complying. So if they didn't have a registration number, they were just dropping. They had to. They had dropped the, the listing off their websites. Yeah. So that's not going to have a significant monetary effect, is it? That's not... But it's just going to have that big effect of getting, moving people out. Yeah, it's the old thing of the, the ordinary families, you know. These families who want to have their seaside holiday, which they're entitled to, um, some of them maybe used to live by the seaside. And, Before until, they were forced out by forced Airbnb out by, rentals. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't think it's the money that's um, the big issue here. I think it's exposure. And I think also when the numbers drop... Because, you know, there's a tiny, there's a relatively small amount of money per uh, let that of the people who are casuals, you know, and unofficial and you know, on the fringe. But there are so many of them that that's a big chunk of money that that is coming into the holiday letting industry that won't be coming in any anymore or won't be coming in as much. Mm. So, you know, a combination of the fire regulations mm-hmm. and the registry, um, that's going to make a big difference, I think. Sure. It'd be nice just to get it sorted, wouldn't it, really? I'm fed up of talking about Airbnb, really. Well, I thought it was very funny in your story that you quoted Julian Crowley, the spokesperson for Airbnb, saying the government can't just change the rules halfway through things. You know, people have got used to this idea that they're allowed to rent their homes without all these fire regulations. <laughs> and you think, hang on a minute, what about all the people who rented or bought a home believing it was going to be in a residential building mm. 
in a building that says, you know, this must not be used for holiday letting. And then suddenly we've got to cope with that. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's one rule for them and another rule for everyone else. And as well, you'd think we'd learn our lesson. I mean, we've had horrendous bushfires that have had a terrible property cost and a cost of stress and anxiety. We have terrible cladding on buildings, which is really dangerous. You kind of think we'd want a position where we'd really want to minimise any fire risks whatsoever. Yeah. You know, and we wouldn't mind paying $1,000 per home for it. No, we shouldn't. And I mean, you think of all the people in the buildings with cladding on it who've been told, you know, they're going to have to pay thirty, forty, fifty thousand per unit mm. to take the cladding off their buildings. And then we've got people who just want to make a profit out of their apartments who are whinging about having to pay a thousand dollars. It's not going to wash, I don't think. No. And we talk about the have and the have nots. Well, I don't think we can talk about Airbnb letters as the real have-nots. No, they are not ordinary people. Not the kind of ordinary people I know, anyway. Well, some of them are, but a lot of them aren't. (laughs) A lot of them are doing it as a commercial enterprise. Well, yeah, I mean, the majority, the majority apparently are people who have more than one apartment to let. So Mm. I wish I was that ordinary. When we come back, we're going to talk about the latest developments in the pet bylaws saga. That's after this. Okay, Sue, you've been uh, chasing up dogs and cats in apartment blocks. What's been going on? (laughs) Trying to herd them. Um, No, it's interesting. We've talked before about one building um, in Sydney, in King's Cross, where some owners, some pet owners, challenged the um, blanket bylaws banning pets. They won, but there's an appeal going on at the moment. But in the meantime, one of Sydney's biggest and most prestigious and probably richest buildings has always had a no pets bylaw since it was first opened. Somebody bought into the building with a pet and moved in and she said that her pet was dying, her dog was dying, wasn't very well at all and she expected him to die quickly. Happily, little Angus, the schnauzer, didn't die and so the executive committee of the building, of the Horizon building in Darlinghurst, took her to court to try and evict her and Angus. Well, not evict her, really, but evict Angus. Right. And sensationally this week, they lost that case. Oh, and right. the, the senior member, NCAT, said that um, the blanket ban on pets was unconscionable and unreasonable. And basically, in his judgment, said that maybe only in future small strata buildings should be allowed to, to ban pets, but big, large strata complexes shouldn't be able to. Now, to be fair, going from your reports on this, the Horizon building has solidly and always been against pets. That's right. They've had a number of AGMs where motions have been put to the to the owners to, to allow pets. Those motions have always been rounded, roundedly lost. Right. So the owners consistently say they don't want pets in the building. They now seem to be in the position of being forced to have pets, really. Well, not individually, of course, but to allow pets in the building. (laughs) But there was also a complication in this that I think the woman concerned said that she'd been told off the record that, you know, as long as she didn't rub their noses in it, she'd be able to keep her dog. Yeah, she alleges that um, she was told if, if she was very quiet about it and very discreet, then people might look the other way. 
And undoubtedly there are other pets in the building as well with owners who haven't been prepared to, to make such a fuss and they've been continuing along happily. But, you know, the question is, should you have to sneak your pet in and out of a building, really? I mean, that's what the pet owners will say. Um, whereas the people in charge of running the building will say, well, we just don't want pets and we've voted against pets and we shouldn't be forced to have pets now. Right. And very soon, I think they've got a general meeting coming up and it looks as though the building, because they are kind of quite a wealthy building and there's lots of lawyers in that building, will vote to go to appeal. And I think they're planning to take this all the way to the very top. Right. And then they say it will be less about pets, really, but it will be more about strata owners and the freedom of strata owners to, to come up with their own bylaws. Right, which has already been tested in the, the case of um, Airbnb, funnily enough. <laughs> mm. You know, where uh, the government here in New South Wales is bringing in laws that will allow us to have bylaws. In Victoria, the government brought in laws that quite clearly said they couldn't have bylaws to restrict Airbnb. But, you know, this whole idea of being able to make the rules for your own building, which was always one of the the selling points of Strata, mm. um, that, you know, you can find a community that suits the way you want to live. And now it's everything is just being tossed in the in the scrap heap. You no longer can guarantee that your building will be residential. You can no longer guarantee that it won't have pets if you don't want to live in the same building as animals. I mean, we are pro-pet. We have pets, but I totally understand why some people just don't want to be around animals. Mm. And what do those people do? Go and live in a house? I mean, that would be radical. <laughs> yeah, it's a difficult one, really, because it does go to the heart of strata living. Yeah. And there may be some who will say, well, strata communities don't have the right to adapt bad bylaws. You know, what happens if a strata community voted to um, exclude all Muslims or all Christians or... That would be discriminatory. Yeah, well, I guess the pet owners say, well, this bylaw is discriminatory against them. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things. I mean, you read that judgment from the uh, Horizon ruling and the senior member went through every aspect in great detail. I mean, for instance, the testimony from the, the pet owner that she had been told anecdotally that it would be okay to have a dog, he dismissed that. Uh, not that she's saying that she was not trustworthy, but that it was irrelevant. Mm. So he went through the every aspect of it in great detail, which makes you think that this ruling is, is going to stick, probably. Yeah, because he looked at previous rulings, didn't he, as well, in similar cases, and he dismissed some and accepted the conclusions of others. So it yeah. was obviously a very careful look at everything, the, the evidence the as well as you know, precedent. Well, I think when he was probably looking at a bench of half a dozen special counsels and mm. <laughs> and barristers and whatnot, he probably realised his decision was going to be scrutinised to the nth degree. Yeah. But it sounds like they're going to go for an appeal as well. I mean, that's up to their general meeting to decide. But I think um, if their executive committee attitudes are any measure, then, then they probably will go for an appeal, yes. Yeah. It's interesting because in the uh, the ruling, um, I think the member said, because the pet owner had warned them that if they tried to force the issue, if the committee tried to force the issue, she would challenge them at NCAT and she would go for costs. And because they didn't counter that, he is of a mind that she should be allowed the costs. 
Mm. And there's also a rumour that she may be getting up a GoFundMe campaign. Oh, wow. Because, you know, it's an expensive business. She's having to fund it herself. And basically she's saying, well, she's fighting the case for lots of other pet owners around Sydney who will be watching the verdict very closely. So I think think she'd probably get a fair bit of money. Yeah, I think she probably will too. I think people actually like these GoFundMe things because, you know, if they think, yeah, I agree with that, you know, then they'll they'll throw some money at it. It makes you feel good for the rest of the day. Yeah, and particularly things like um, the GoFundMe campaign to save koalas after the bushfires. I mean, didn't they, they aimed for a certain figure and they got like 10 times that. I believe they aimed for $25,000 and they ended up with half a million. (laughs) It's incredible. And then there was the guy who lost Australian Survivor. Everybody liked him, and uh, he didn't get the half million dollars, so somebody started a GoFundMe campaign, and eventually they had to close it because he'd gone way over the half million. <laughs> it's fantastic, isn't it? That's yeah. real people power, I think, in a, in a really nice way. Yeah. But then, you know, we've had Israel Folau raise quite a lot of money at first with his GoFundMe campaign, yeah. too. Yeah. So, yeah, it works always. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's a kind of un- unfiltered uh but very real support for people. You know, you don't have a, an organisation in the way saying, well, we'll take your money, but we'll decide how it gets spent. Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay, after this, we're going to talk about Neighbours from Hell. This week's column in the Financial Review, I'm having a quick look at some of those nightmare neighbours that we all encounter at some point or another. And, you know, the first thing I discovered was 600 words is not enough. <laughs> because uh, over the years, we've we've had a few, you know, you, you've, you've encountered a few nightmare neighbours. The ones that I uh, specifically go for are... The party animals and the the people who refuse to recycle, they really annoy me. And I've allied them with the people who leave their bags of garbage outside the front door of their apartment. <gasps> in do the people really lot. do that? They totally, surely do. Oh, wow. And one guy wrote to us about somebody, he'd complained about it, and the guy said, well, this has got a dirty nappy in it. I'm not leaving it in the house. It stinks. Oh, horrible. Yeah, people are pretty disgusting sometimes. And what's the, what's the problem with party animals? Is it that they just don't invite you to their party, Jimmy? Well, nobody invites me to a party. There's an issue with party animals generally, which, well, actually, there's a subset of party animals. I call them the, the brat dumpers. That's when parents, you know, they've got a couple of teenage kids. They just don't want them around the house anymore. And so they buy an investment property and put the kids in it for a few years and Basically, don't care what they do as long as they're not doing it in their house. Oh, that doesn't sound so good, really. No, it's it's a nightmare. And they're probably not not very well house trained. They're not well. If they were house trained, they wouldn't need to find a, an apartment for them. Yes. <laughs> but they are also not responsive to uh, the complaints that inevitably arise uh, mm. about the behaviour of of these these people. So I was thinking, you know, who's your favourite um, or least favourite uh, nightmare neighbour? I think my most nightmare neighbour was the neighbour who held a party one Sunday afternoon and actually had a band in his apartment, a real-life band. Right. And when they started playing, it was incredibly noisy, so noisy that people from other buildings in the neighbourhood and not even the neighbouring buildings, you yeah. know, buildings quite a long way away, 
all called the police and said, what the hell's going on? Yeah. You know, like I could hear you too the other night from the stadium at Moore Park. Yeah. And I'm maybe, I don't know, five Ks away. But this was astonishing, like yeah. being next door or next but one. Yeah. I've never heard anything so loud. Fancy believing that you can actually turn your apartment into a stadium, basically, which is what it was. Yeah. I mean, it just that was astonishing, really. One of these great uh, combinations of money and stupidity. Yes, and, and a total, yeah, total disregard for everybody else, really. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favourites is the the barbecue burner. You know, the the person who usually has a barbecue right underneath my window and doesn't clean it. Uh, because that's not what you do in Australia. So before he actually cooks on the barbecue, turns it up to maximum heat to burn off the previous week's fat. So you get all this stale fat smell pouring into your apartment. And I used to live in an apartment block where barbecues were banned on the the balconies for that very reason. Mm. Uh, but these days you can't you can't even mention it without being accused of being un-Australian. And then, of course, you have um, drug dealers or sex workers, and they don't make very good neighbours either, I've discovered. Because the drug dealers in particular tend to be attracted to apartments with good security, but then they have visitors at all times of the night, and their doors are banging. And if there are any dogs in the area, you know, in the the same corridor, the dogs will tend to bark as well. Yeah. Strange people coming and going, strange hours. Yes. The sex workers the same. Yes, I remember the story about the uh, the dogs barking and the neighbours complaining about the dogs and it turned out the dogs were barking when the drug dealers' customers were coming. And I remember the, the building manager went to them and said, look, we know you're drug dealers because of these people who come here at all times of the night. And the person concerned said, how dare you? I am a private detective and these are my <laughs> operatives coming to report to me in person. So so he went to the police, uh, local police, and said, look, we think this guy's a drug dealer. And they said, uh, yeah, well, we can't just sort of go marching in there uh, until we get some evidence of this. And they suggested that they could organize unofficially that the building be used for training their drug dogs. He said, so we'll put the drug dogs on different floors. We'll just make sure that floor is one of them. And then when the dog goes and sits outside the apartment door, we then have, you know, just cause to knock on the door and go in and and, and check. And the building manager at first thought, oh, this is a really good idea. And then he thought about all the other people living in the building (laughs) (laughs) and said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. But uh, There might be too many people using recreational drugs to make that a possibility. And it was funny because they, they also went to the landlord, uh, a woman who uh, lived in another suburb, and said, we're having problems with your tenant and it's causing all sorts of disruption. And she said, well, his lease is up soon, so I just won't renew it. And then she said, what's the problem? And they said, we think he's a drug dealer. And she said, oh, I'm scared now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to let him stay. Oh, no. But eventually, I think the uh, drug dealer felt he was attracting a bit too much attention. So yeah, good. He, off he went to ply his trade somewhere else where he didn't <laughs> we didn't live next door to a couple of little dogs. And by the same token, I mean, what would be the best neighbours in an apartment? I, kind of, I would quite like to live next door to a fabulous chef who was always trying out his or her new recipes at On home. you. 
Yes. Yeah, you don't want to be living next. Them. You don't want to be living next to somebody who's cooking all the time. You go, oh my god, that smells so good. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, they have to be generous with it. Then I think yeah. that would be my perfect neighbour. I tell you, one of the the worst ones you can have is old people with hearing difficulties. Because you go to them, you move, you're going to buy into the place, and you go to them and say, "Oh, what's it like here?" And they say, "Oh, it's very quiet." <laughs> <laughs> you move in and realise you've got the rock band in the next place, and you've got the people upstairs. And... But then, if you're not noisy, you kind of know that you're not going to disturb them. So they would be a good neighbour if you were a party animal, I suppose. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it works the other way. I, I did have a friend who had a neighbour who uh, she was getting progressively more and more deaf she was in her 90s and her she liked to go to bed about six seven o'clock at night she'd lie there with the tv on full volume so she could hear it and it was driving him mad because you know he would go to bed at a reasonable time and she'd still be up watching tv and i suggested to him go and uh, invest in a pair of headphones for her so he did oh good and she was so grateful she said, for the first time, I can actually hear what people are saying on TV. And for the first time in ages, he was getting a full night's sleep. So it worked for everyone. That's a lovely solution, isn't it? Yeah, yeah win-win. But uh, the other noisy neighbour story I remember from way back was uh, people who were being driven mad by uh, tenants in an apartment. And every night, all they could hear is tap, 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 very rhythmically. And because the tenants were... Southeast Asian, they assumed, well, I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing. They said, we think they're making chopsticks. <laughs> so, no, they have machines that make chopsticks. But I couldn't, I never worked out what it was. And, they, you know, they eventually drove them out by fair means or foul. And then one night I'm watching a TV show about these guys who had been coerced into making drugs, making pills. And I don't know if you've ever seen what a pill machine is like, but basically it's a funnel at the top that you put powder in and then it comes out and it gets pressed into little holes. You turn the handle and it goes tap, 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 tap. <laughs> and that's what they were doing. Wow. And finally, one of the other things we'll be talking about on the website this week is the latest list of popular pet names. Oh, yes. I love those names. Yep. But you had a little story from a movie you saw. Oh, yes. I went to see Hope Gap the other day because I just love Bill Nye. And um, he plays a husband who leaves his wife, who's played by Annette Benning, and she's really, really angry. And she goes off and buys a dog that she calls by the same name as her husband, Edward. Right. And then they go to see a lawyer to sign the divorce papers, and she's so angry with him, but she brings the dog with her. And when he walks in, she says, sit, Edward. And Bill Nye immediately goes over to his chair and sits down. <laughs> Probably very obedient anyway. He seems like an obedient <laughs> sort of chap. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks very much again, Sue. Pleasure, Jimmy. And uh, we'll talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy these podcasts, and would you still be listening if you didn't, you can subscribe free of charge on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and lots of other podcast platforms. As I said, it's free of charge, and that means the podcast will be delivered directly to your phone, laptop, or computer as soon as it's published. You'll find links at the end of the show notes, that's the related story, on the Flat Chat website. And the website is where you go to find the stories we've been discussing today, as well as about 10 years of archives and, of course, 
your questions and answers on the Flat Chat Forum. Just log in to flat-chat.com.au to ask a question or, even better, answer someone else's. Okay, thanks for listening. I'm Jimmy Thompson. Talk to you again soon.